0: This is Pastor Scott Hedman from Clovis Hills Community Church, and you are listening to the Clovis Hills Podcast. You are about to hear from one of our teaching pastors here at Clovis Hills. I want to encourage you to download the Clovis Hills app where you can follow along with today's notes, submit a prayer request, or give to the ministry of this church. I hope today's message encourages you and draws you closer to the heart of God. Remember, we got our own March Madness going on right in this building right now, right? Those of you that are all obsessed with bracketology, it's over anyhow, you already lost, you you lost a game or two, you know, and I have no money in the game, so I don't care, uh, although I know who's going to win it, but nevertheless, hey, if you're uh, new this morning, I, I want to welcome you uh, as a guest. We're, we're just really glad you're here, and I just want to say, because I, I often think about what it's like to come into a place and maybe be unfamiliar with what actually happens in a church service, so... When you saw people streaming forward and somebody talking about laying hands on wood and all that kind of stuff, listen, here's, here's the bottom line of it all. Uh, and we, we talked about this last week in church. We, we believe literally that the Holy Spirit is a person that lives in us, right? The Holy Spirit lives in us. And so you can imagine when a bunch of us gather together in a building, it becomes a real sacred moment and a sacred place. And here's the thing, like I love the fact because if I haven't met you, my name is Mitch Rivera and I, I am now for the last six months the pastor of men's ministry and expansion here at Clovis Hills, right? And I'm gonna really emphasize the men's ministry part because I'm, I'm loving this fresh cut wood, kind of rough, hewn look up here on the platform. It's kind of fitting, like dudes, we got it going on up here. Like don't, don't beautify it, just leave it raw and rusty just like this. Anyhow, it's going to look better next week, I can promise you. But here's the thing. We know that, that that's all this is. It's, it's wood. It's, it's nails. It's, it's, there's some metal up here. I know that. There's a lot of, there's a lot of work that went on. There's, there's uh, concrete that was poured. There's tubes that have been run and plumbing. And there's stuff for uh, sound and lighting and all that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, they're just materials They're just materials. There's nothing extraordinarily special about these materials, okay? And I'd go even so far as to say it really is not primarily about the people that step on this platform. Although God has placed certain people to be here and to stand and speak on his behalf to his people. But here's the thing. At the end of the day, as Pastor Dave pointed out, we have one living hope, and he is Jesus, right? That's who we're going to continue to point to. And, and so if, if you're a guest, I just, I just hope that that didn't feel too weird. But the thing is, if it did, we ain't apologizing for it because we're all about like what Jesus is all about, and we're just going to keep asking him to bless and anoint and make this a sacred place where you can feel welcomed and loved, where you can feel the presence of God in a personal way. And here's the thing, I, I believe... Um, I believe every Sunday, every Saturday night, we had it last night, that God is eager to touch someone's life. And that, that someone may be you this morning. And just know that God, God had you in mind. God had you in mind when a bunch of people prepared as I spent hours in my study preparing for this morning. And so if, if you've got a program or an outline, it may help you navigate. It certainly helps me somewhat stay on track uh, which is always a good thing for the preacher, but you can open that up because we're going to continue this series in 1 Corinthians that has been titled uh, good, good News for Bad Christians. Good News for Bad Christians. And there's that's an intentional title because really most of us kind of stumble our way through even following Jesus. We're, we just know that we're not sort of the epitome of perfection. Can I hear an amen? Like we're... We're one beggar, like going for a piece of bread. We're all going for the same thing. But here's the thing. Jesus has living bread for us. He has living water that he wants to literally do an inside-out job. And so what we're going to look at this morning is just a small number of verses from a text in the Apostle Paul's letter to the church in Corinth that he wrote in the first century. And although it's hard for us to transport ourselves back a couple thousand years, here's the thing. There's so many similarities. In many ways, people don't change the dynamics between interpersonal relationships, how leaders and followers interact, behave well and behave poorly, how families, uh, the relationships and dynamics in families work. I mean, one of the things that I'm more and more convinced of is we all come from jacked-up families. Right. I mean, I want to believe, man, I raised my family. My family's jacked up. I'm just telling you, if you came to listen to a preacher that does not have a jacked-up family, you come to the wrong building. <laughs> all right? I had, I had this wonderful brother come up to me uh, uh, after last service. He said, listen, you know, when you talked about your daughters, you mentioned your daughters married losers. He said I was one of those losers. And he said now Jesus has changed my life. And it was just a good reminder to me, you know, we all we all start at a loss. Right? We all come with a significant deficit. It's called sin, both in our nature and in our doing. And here's the thing, God loved us so much that he came that he might give us a a new standing with himself and pour the Holy Spirit into us so we can live righteously for him and interact and behave in ways that really demonstrate that we're followers of his in the church. And so we're gonna get back to the action in Corinth because in many ways, this is a word for us today. If you came, if you came, to receive a word of hope, you came to the right place. If you came to maybe get a deeper insight into how this thing called church is supposed to work, the way God designed it, I think God has a word for you today. If you came, if you came maybe with a heavy heart or a heart full of fear and dread as it relates to the God of the universe, I'm hoping that there's going to be a great reversal in your heart even This morning, because there's something that God wants to say to you. And if you would, out of respect for God's word, I'd like you to stand for our scripture reading this morning. And my reader, Roxanne, is going to read, if you have your Bibles, electronic or paper, we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. This is how one should regard us, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness, and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Now if that didn't sound familiar, that's from the ESV version. There was a, a, a reason that I had Roxanne read that because even when you're reading and studying the Bible, it's good sometimes to look at different versions of the Bible. It's all the Bible, but here's the thing. There are certain versions of the Bible that emphasize or maybe find an English word that more powerfully communicates the original intent and thought of the writer. And so this morning I read from a hard-to-read uh, uh, version of the Bible, the ESV. It's not, it's not as smooth as some of the other translations, but there's words in there that I didn't want us to miss. I didn't want us to miss some of the key words that I think are absolutely imperative that we come away with from this teaching from the Apostle Paul. And let me just set the stage again. Some of you that have been in this journey for uh, since the beginning, you, th- this will be a review for you. But here's the thing. This is the Apostle Paul writing to a very important and strategic church in the first century in uh, the city of Corinth. Now, we know that this was an important church because the Apostle Paul, by nature, was a church planter. His job, and here's what that means. Here's what that means. That means his job was to come in and preach the gospel. He wanted to herald the gospel every place he went. He didn't feel the burden or responsibility to stay for long periods of time. He came, he preached the gospel, people got saved. He would train up, equip leadership, and then he would put institute that leadership in the life of these local churches. In Corinth, he had actually spent 18 months, which other than Ephesus was the longest period of time that he spent with any given particular church. Now, here's, here's the only reason I mention that. Because really, in today's and in, in, in modern understanding of church, like one of the joys we hope and we experience in the life of the church is steady, long-term leadership in the life of the church, right? You, you've experienced that here at Clovis Hills. I mean, your founding pastor is still part of the team here. The actual planter of the church is still part of our team. And then he did a beautiful job of transitioning leadership five or six years ago to Pastor Sean, and it was a beautiful transition, right? Well, I'm just saying, remember, Paul, in essence, wasn't that guy. Like, he, it was short-term, he had to do his work, get in, get out, because he said, I got more churches to plant. And you know the old expression, familiarity breeds contempt? Like, here's the thing, one of the challenges of leading a church over a long period of time is sometimes you get less and less impressed with the voice, less and less impressed with the leadership. So here's the thing. The truth of the matter is what Paul is addressing is something that needs to be addressed in the life of the church today. And that is, how how does this relationship work with said pastor, said senior pastor, Sean Beattie, and members, and guests, what is that relationship supposed to look like and how are we to see each other? And really that is what uh, Paul dives into right away. Now this is not a new theme. He, this is like the third time in this letter he's brought up the issue of division in the church, divisiveness, critical spirit, um, pride, arrogance that's welling up in the church because people are choosing sides. They're choosing Leaders And so he wants to set things straight. And he does it, and if you have your outline, I'll give you point number one, which comes from verse number one, and that is this. Leaders are servants and stewards. Leaders are servants and stewards. He simply says, this is how one should regard us, referring to Paul, Apollos. Here is how you should regard us, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mystery of Mysteries of God. Listen, every person, whoever it is that stands on this platform, first and foremost, is a servant. We are servants. I've been serving the Lord in the local church for 35 years. And here's what I can tell you. I'm more humbled by the assignment than I ever have been, and I'm less impressed with myself than I ever have been. Because here's the thing. I, at the end of the day, am simply just a humble Servant. I want you to see me as a humble ser- servant as I see you as members of Christ's body as humble servants. Jesus himself, did he not say, I didn't come to be served, but to serve. And to give my life as a ransom for many, like, like the most basic, basic duty, the most basic assignment for each one of us is that we are servants. Pastor Sean, one of the things I, I love about my, our pastor is this. He's a humble man that understands, understands that first and foremost, he's a servant of God. You know, he kids a lot about why would anybody leave SoCal, you know, to come here to the desperate desert of Fresno, right? He likes to have fun with that. But let me tell you something. I've learned to know this about the men. He knows that God called him here, planted him here, and that he has a commitment to serve, serve this body, Clovis Hills, for a long stretch of time. I can tell his heart is in it. And that, let me tell you something. That is a blessing to a church. That's a blessing to a community. I'm actually old enough to know that. At 58, I've seen the, the blessings of long term leadership in the church, in this community. I've, seen, I've served under, and served alongside, great church leaders. And let me tell you something, it matters. It matters, and we as a community are blessed. First and foremost, servants, but he didn't just say servants, he also used this word steward. Like literally, that every leader, and I believe every follower, Every one of us is given an assignment, a stewardship assignment. We're entrusted with something. And our responsibility is this, that we should steward honorably the assignment that God has given us. We're stewards. For instance, I'll give you an example. Uh, My my mom, who is one of my heroes. I I love my mom. My brother's here. Listen, we we got the greatest mama in the world, man. We've been blessed. when I think about my mom's life, I, I, just, I get overwhelmed with gratitude to think about how she, she blended a family of seven children. She had three boys. She remarried. We were ado- the, the, this man adopted us into his family, and he brought three, which was unusual for a dad to bring three kids with him, and there were six of us, and then had another brother, seven, and we, we had somebody that helped at the house named Alice. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. My mom worked full-time, two jobs, one raising seven kids and one serving her husbands in different businesses, one husband at a time, I might add. There was death, and then I just want to clarify. About five years ago, my mom was diagnosed with early stages of Alzheimer's. It's It's a terrible disease. It's just terrible because it... It steals the mind, you know, someone that was vibrant and thriving and healthy. All of a sudden you just see it's like a, a slow fade, you know, it's like a slow fade. And, and I just say that um, one of the greatest privileges of my life these last five years, my, my dad was kind enough to leave my mom. There are two trusts, two trusts that we have uh, relied on heavily. Uh, over these last four years for her care as it got more and more difficult and she started to wander and normal things that are associated with Alzheimer's and she had to eventually find her way to uh, assisted living and kind of independent living, then assisted living, then full-time assisted living and reminiscence care. And if you're not familiar with that, one day you may be. And here's what I can tell you uh, very simply. It's really expensive it requires a lot of resources, so I've found myself really challenged as the executor to really be responsible in stewarding the resources that really, they're not mine. They're not mine. They Ultimately, they belong to my mother, and I want to make sure that I steward every dollar. I'm the guy that actually, actually price shopped. I went and bought extra boxes of adult diapers at Costco when they were on sale. Amen is right. (laughs) I'm just saying, it's a practical thing, right? But here's the deal. It doesn't matter what what your station in life is, where God has placed you. What matters is you have an assignment from God. I'm saying you have an assignment from God, and and your responsibility is to steward that assignment well. Your assignment could be uh, praying for your grandkids, that's an assignment. It, it, I don't know what it is. But the important thing is that you steward that assignment passionately and honorably before the Lord. I was talking to uh, Pastor Derek Alvarez. He, he's one of my new co workers. Uh, he serves as our high school pastor here at the church. Yeah, give a shout out to Derek. Come on, you can give some love some love to my so we were talking about because he came from the marketplace and from the business world and where he's climbing the ladder and he's still trying to figure out how this works in ministry and is there a ladder and do you climb it and how do you how do you how do you continue to advance you know in a in, on a church staff and team and I just said look here's here's how it's done first of all you you descend into greatness that's what Jesus taught us right Jesus said, we we, we don't try to lift ourselves up. We actually humble ourselves and we let him exalt us. So that's the first thing. Secondly, we just are real faithful to whatever assignment we have right now. Like I just want you, like Derek, be be the greatest high school pastor in this community. Lead a movement and a revolution with students. Like that's what I want you to do. And then guess what? God's going to acknowledge that, and you're going to continue to get more and more opportunity as you're faithful with what's been entrusted to you. That's the way it works. Listen, I just want to encourage you. I don't know what your assignment is. I don't know uh, where you are, but here's the thing. God wants you to be faithful in your assignment, and you have an assignment. I was thinking about uh, this in relationship to uh, God's church. I've had a lot of conversations with people that are not really all that dialed in or interested in church, and here's a lot of times the expression they use. Maybe you've heard this: "I'm cool with God. I like Jesus, but I don't like organized religion." Any of you heard that? Like, I'm I'm all into God. God, I'm I'm cool with God, but I don't like organized religion. And you know my response probably it's it's shaded a little bit by my pastoral ministry is like so what could i offer you disorganized religion <laughs> like i'm not even sure what you mean by that anything that is of value has any worth in life typically has some degree of organization and it is managed and processed in orderly ways like, I was thinking about it this way. What if, um, you know, our kids are the most precious cargo in the world. What if you brought your kids here to Clovis Hills, you dropped them off in the classroom, and there was just a sign, no helpers required. We just threw out some goldfish in the middle of the room. Let them have at it. We don't, we don't want to get all organized and stuff, man. We, we wouldn't want any of that. No, you would have a problem with that, wouldn't you? Like, what if I decided to preach? What if I did, decided to preach, but I wanted to look at the curtain? Now, first of all, I wouldn't do that because you've got to look at my back and my booty. <laughs> right? But here's the thing. That's a dumb idea. That's just dumb. In fact, I was thinking uh, last, last service. I've, had, I, I've actually had uh, couples. I've done a lot of weddings, probably five, 600 weddings over the last 35 years. Here's the thing. I've had couples say this. Like, would you be willing? We would like to be able to face the audience, and we would like you to face us. Like, the couple's going to look. I said, that's the dumbest idea I've ever heard. I'm doing the talking, not you. I want to be able to interact with people, and you ought to stay focused on one another. Really, this would be good training for your future. Right? Here, the truth of the matter is this, I actually did some homework when I candidated for a position here. I've only had two assignments in ministry, 17 years and 17 years. So it was a big transition for me as I've shared with you. But here's the thing, I wanted to know a little bit more about this church. I knew of this church, I knew of, your, of uh, the founding pastor, Steve, he's a friend of mine. He was a mentor of mine from afar. I'd call him periodically because I was a church planner too. We met in a school for seven years. I needed help, man. I just wanted to know how to do it. And he was a great friend to me. But here's the thing. I want to know, how all this work? And I'm glad. I'm glad that you have a, a governing body here at the church. It's called a board of trustees. I'm glad that you have an accountability system built in, an accountability structure with your senior pastor, with Sean. He's accountable to a team of people. I'm glad that you, that, that you have a staff because that gamefully employs me, and we are part of a team. And guess what? We have a, an assignment to steward, and guess what that is? That's carrying out our individual assignments and the vision and mission of our pastor. We want to do that with all our heart and soul and might, might and strength. And really as staff, as individual staff members, we're part of a team that really our primary task is to equip you to carry out the ministry of the church and the mission of God in the world. See, it's a, it's a symbiotic relationship. We all have a relationship with one another, and we all have roles and responsibilities to play. We have a trust to steward. And I just want to encourage you, if if you're new to the church, we have a pathway for you here. We want you to get connected. We want you to grow. We want you to serve. We want you to go. We have Connect. If you're new, come to Connect 101 this Tuesday night, 630 in the foyer. I've come six times now. We come every month as staff because we want to get to know people that are checking us out as a church. We want you to really you get a, an opportunity to hear the heartbeat of the church and what we're all about. I'm saying if you've been coming for a while and you've only found your way into a blue chair, maybe, maybe today's your day to go out and sign up for a growth group. My, my wife Jamie and I have been in a growth group now for about five weeks. It's been really already life-changing for us. We're, we're developing some deep friendships with some other couples here at Clovis Hills, and that makes a difference. We talk about all the time, you need to have relationships and responsibilities to be an active, vibrant member of a church. Relationships and responsibilities. I just want to encourage you that Paul teaches us, Paul teaches us servants and stewards. Point number two, our responsibility. Our responsibility is straightforward. Moreover, verse two, it is required of stewards that they be faithful that we be faithful remember in matthew 25 jesus told the story of the parable of the talents the the owner left his household goods and his money to uh, three uh, uh, of his servants to to and they were given talents based upon based upon their their gifting based upon their responsibility and one was given five and one was given uh, two and the other was given one. And then he left for a long period of time and then he came back and there was an accounting for how, they, how responsible, how, how they had stewarded the assignment that their owner had given them. And if you read at the end of that story, the, the uh, master, when he made an accounting of the work, he said this to the, steward, the good steward. He said, well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful. He didn't say, you have been remarkable. He didn't say, you have been sensational. He didn't say, you have been exceptional. He didn't say, you have been phenomenal. He said, you have been faithful. God God is not interested in us being exceptional and phenomenal. He's most interested in us being faithful. Whatever assignment he's given us, he calls us to be faithful. And I was reminded of this um, Last night, about an hour before a service last night, I got a text from uh, my friend and, and uh, colleague, uh, Pastor Brad Bell of The Well. And this text comes every year, every year. And it's come on the same day every year for the past 25 years. And you'll see, um, I, I somehow got my hands on a flyer um, that we put together together First of all, I'm just so that that is so. That's such a remarkable early '90s flyer right there. Is that not the coolest thing you've ever seen? First of all, it's just like I don't even know what to do with the graphics in this flyer. I'm almost embarrassed to show it. But you know what that is? That represents that represents an assignment that God gave to me and another college pastor in town. His name's Joe Broussard. Used to pastor at was what is now the bridge formerly was Fresno EV Free, and he was a college pastor there, and Joe and I decided as college pastors at a church that we wanted to make an impact on the campus at Fresno State. And we thought one of the ways that we could do that, I actually was brash enough that we established a presence on campus called Remnant Ministries, which was kind of a goofy church name looking back now, we established a presence, it gave us an opportunity to actually physically house on campus. And we decided, because I was a former athlete at Fresno State, one of the things we wanted to do was reach athletes with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So here's how we did it. I went out and raised money. We hosted dinner at the Piccadilly Inn, and we would bait student athletes and say, if you'll come and eat a steak dinner, we have some things we'd like to share with you. And Here's the thing. We we were just being faithful with an assignment. We just knew that we wanted to reach student-athletes. Here's what I didn't know. I didn't know that 25 years ago last night a really cocky, brash football player at Fresno State named Brad Bell would come to the meeting and he, let me tell you something, he told me later, he said, I told myself, I'm eating the steak and I'm darting. And let me tell you something, the Holy Spirit got a hold of him And captured him and kept him in that seat. And he listened to Kenny Lovely. And Kenny Lovely shared the gospel. And guess what happened? One life got changed for all of eternity. And I can't take any credit for this, because let me tell you something. I tried to disciple Brad Bell. He was a slippery disciple (laughs) in the early days. He was working on his testimony after he got saved, as we say at Clovis Hills, right? Right? But here's the thing. I didn't have any idea at the time that I would be hosting a dinner at the Piccadilly Inn for one of the more influential pastors in our community today. I had no idea. Here's all I'm saying right now, right now, we may be hosting people in the third, three year olds, and four year olds that are in classrooms right now that may be the future artists and singers and preachers, they may be right here in this building. There may be someone listening to my voice that God willing is going to take my job. Right? Because this is what God does. And this is how he works in the life of his church and all he invites us to be is faithful. Paul, at the end of his life, when he wrote uh, two letters to his young protege, Timothy, he said these words, I love it, he said, I have fought the good fight, I've finished the race, I have remained faithful. Paul was faithful to the end. Now, he doesn't end it there because point number three, a word about judgment, judgmentalism, and our righteous judge, here's the thing, Paul writes this, but with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself for I am not aware of anything against myself but I am not thereby acquitted or I don't declare myself not guilty because I don't see anything in myself. It is the Lord who judges me, therefore do not Pronounce judgment before the time before the Lord comes. There's a look, he says, uh, he uses the word judged, judge, judges, judgment. What do you think the topic that Paul is addressing here? Might it be possible that he's talking about judging? Might it be possible that he's talking about judgment? Might it be possible that he's speaking to individuals about that critical, judgmental spirit that can work its way into our lives and into the life of the church? Here's the thing, and I want to say this especially to those of you that are younger. I'm looking right at you. Don't put such a high value on the opinions of other people. Their opinions don't matter. I mean, here's the thing. There's only one opinion that matters, and that's God's. And it's how he sees you. And let me tell you something. We say amen, and I say amen, and I say rejoice. But you know what? Even pastors, we care too much about people's opinions. And in the life of the church, if we're not careful, we can gravitate. Our, our, Our hearts, our minds, our ears can gravitate toward people, where we value too much the opinion of man instead of the opinion of God. and This is part of what Paul is getting at. Look, he says, look, I, uh, you all can like have your opinions about me and Apollos, but <laughs> I don't really care. It really matters because at the end of the day, your evaluation of me, your judgment of me is not gonna weigh in any way in the ultimate judgment from the righteous judge. It won't matter. So you shouldn't do it with me. You shouldn't do it with one another. He's trying to tell them not to compare. Comparison is uh, it's a terrible plague of the day and age in which we live. Like, for instance, um, I'm glad that we're uh, on Facebook right now, live, and, and, like, people can watch. You know why? Because my, my son in Beaverton, Oregon, is watching. I think it's awesome. But here's the thing. I, ha- I know that there are some unbelievable downsides to social media because so much of what happens in that, in that vehicle is it's about image management we're trying to manage an image, and here's the thing, you can manage an image all you want, but, but people are gonna poke holes in it, and they're gonna find, they're gonna find trouble with you. You're gonna get, at, at some point, it's gonna be exposed, and we can't keep up that image. Why don't, why don't we just accept the fact, I am a jacked up person, I come from a jacked up family, and I desperately need God. Right? But here's the thing that that doesn't really sell well on social media. Right? God is interested in one thing, and that is that the church, the church not be a place or a family that is um, characterized by judgment, judgmentalism, and we can leave our lives and the judgment at the end of time to the righteous judge, our God. And here's the thing. I wanna say this, especially to some of you, that you, you're, maybe, maybe you have great fear uh, of God. You see him as a uh, wrathful, like he's just eager and ready to uh, uh, obliterate you from the planet. I want to say quite the opposite, demonstrated by clearly his love for you, which uh, Paul wrote it this way: While we God demonstrates His own love for us in this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If you want to know, if you want to know how Jesus feels about you, read the gospel account when He was hanging on the cross. He has been savagely beaten unjustly crucified, hanging on a cross. And you know what he says? He, he prays, he prays. He says, Father, forgive them, for they, they, they don't know what they're doing. Even, even in that most, in the darkest hour, in that most treacherous moment, you know what Jesus was thinking? Father, forgive them. Forgive them. They really, they don't know what they're doing. If they, if they do, maybe if they did, they would take me down from this cross. How great the love the Father has demonstrated to us that we should be called children of God. Because here's the thing. The last point is this. Uh, Our hearts hearts will be revealed. Here's, Here's what Paul writes. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes. Why? Who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness, and will disclose the purposes of the heart, then each one will receive his commendation from God. See, here, the truth of the matter is we're we're always looking at external and appearances. But 1 Samuel 16:7, great verse. Uh, the Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. It's always been a matter of the heart. God is interested in what's going on in your heart. God wants to have a relationship with you. He wants to restore you to himself so that you can love him as he has loved you. You can love him and love others. You can love him with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. And you may say to yourself, I don't know if I can do that. You're right, you can't. But God cares so much that he took care of that. He took care of that. He, he said this, and John wrote in 1 John 4, 16 through 18. I, lo- I love this, this passage. We know how much God loved us, and we have put our trust in his love. It really comes ba- It comes down to a matter of trust. Can I... Can I trust God's love for me enough to love him back? Is God trustworthy? And I want to say, hallelujah, God is trustworthy. Test him on this. You'll find him to be true. I don't know who you banked your trust on, but let me tell you something. God is the most trustworthy person that you can place your trust uh, in in the, in the entire planet, in the universe. God is trustworthy. God is love, and all who live uh, uh, in love live in God, and God lives in them. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. You don't have to love Him perfectly; your love for Him will grow. I got to tell you, I, I I'm just I'm crazy in love with Jesus today. I'm crazy in love. I He saved me in 1973. I got saved at 13 years old. I had no idea. I I would have been voted least likely to become a minister in my family. One of the beauties, I I think humor is a gift. So I keep um, having these wonderful visits with my mom every week, two or three times a week at her residential care facility, and 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 sometimes I'll say, Mom, remember, I'll, I'll try, I'm trying to bring up old stories. And most of my childhood stories were were me getting in trouble. <laughs> and, I, and, I, and so sometimes I'll find myself apologizing for being, you know, kind of a, a rebel little kid. And she'd go, No, you weren't a rebel little kid. And that's in that moment, I thank God for her loss of memory. You no, know, it just occurred to me, I'm thinking about that scripture. You know, the psalmist writes, he removes our sins from us as far as the east is from the west. Like he remembers them no more. Why? Because we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. Perfect love expels all fear. And here's one of our challenges, church and guests. We won't experience in this life perfect love because we are imperfect people, right? I try to tell couples I'm doing a lot of premarital counseling. You know, springtime is, a, is, a, is kind of the season for marriage. And, and so I keep trying to, you know, like, pour truth into these skulls full of mush. Like, here's the thing. Two imperfect people marrying does not make perfection, man. In fact, quite the opposite. You're gonna, all of your imperfection is going to get exposed more than it ever has been. Can I hear an amen? Right. And here's the thing. Sometimes, sometimes we think as though God can't handle the exposure of all of our deepest and darkest sins. And here's the thing: it's quite the opposite. He invaded our sinful planet and invaded our sinful lives with His Son Jesus, so so that Jesus could take all of that sin all of that sin and take it upon himself and then he offers the greatest exchange ever in the history of humankind that is look I'm going to take all of your sin and I'm going to give you all of my righteousness I'm going to clothe you with my righteousness and once you're clothed once you're clothed with righteousness you have right standing with God and I'm going to come deposit the Holy Spirit in my church and in each individual believer each person that trusts in me and here we are, 2019, right, carrying on the work, carrying on the work that Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so I just want to say, especially to those of you this morning, there, there, someone has come fearful, someone has come that's anxious, someone has come with some sense of dread. I, I've had many of my unsaved friends go, "Dude, I can't come to church. The, the roof will cave in." No, the roof won't cave in. Not only God can handle your sin; He's handled it. He's nailed it. He's nailed it to His Son on the cross. The perfect sacrifice. Savior, Jesus. And so if you came full of fear, if you came with apprehension, if you're anxious about meeting your maker, I just want to invite you today, man, that all can change. That all can change in a moment. And it's simply a matter, will you, will you offer to God the greatest gift, and that is the gift of your trust, that you'll trust him. That he has a plan for you, and it's better than your plan. That he has a way for you, His name is Jesus. That he has a purpose for you, and it's, it's more glorious and grand than anything that you could ever dare imagine or even dream of, infinitely beyond your highest prayer, desire, thought, or hope. I'm going to invite you to bow with me you close your eyes hi this is pastor sean Beatty from clovis hills community church i want to thank you for listening to the podcast hey i encourage you to download the clovis hills app on your phone with the app you can do all kinds of things like prayer requests live notes giving i also encourage you to check out our uh, facebook live page if, if you want to watch online you can come to our services live they're saturday nights at six o'clock sundays at 9 a.m and 10 40. thanks so much for listening to the podcast.